You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Premier, Sculpted Jared Mack on the show, and welcome to your Wednesday edition of the podcast. And it's the first off-season podcast are we officially in off-season mode how do we define no no i know i'm just gonna say there is no real such thing as off-season but uh we are kind of in that that period now where there's no media availability there's no practices to cover there's for right now there's no football camps to go to we're kind of in that lull you're not wrong in terms of saying this would be the first podcast after the last media availability we have recorded. So technically, is this the start of the off season? I guess. I guess if it's the uh, the analogy of the tree falls in the wood or whatever, that was the last thing we heard from Kenny and Tosh. Does that mean that's the end of spring officially? I think so. I guess so. Uh, and I'm it's sad though. <laughs> Football will be right back. I, I mean, in the blink of an eye, summer will be gone. Um, no doubt about not. that. Uh, let's discuss. We're go- you guys, Eric and Jared, um, both updated the depth charts, offense and defense um, on DuckTerritory.com. We've got stories up on that with in-depth explanations for the depth charts. Really good stuff. I encourage you guys to go read that. Um, let's start offensively, and we'll go with Eric here since he was in charge of that. Eric, why don't you just give us – a, a quick rundown of the depth chart. And as it plays out, um, we'll give our thoughts of just each position group. Yeah, just really quick. I thought it was fun this spring. It's a little different than in, in past years where uh, I'd kind of followed the defense. This year I was following offense. So I was in charge of the offense of two deep and Jared was in charge of following defense. And so he's therefore in charge of the defense of two deep. So that's why we're the ones kind of running through it and why we wrote the stories. Just wanted to give a little background. Um, on that. So, yeah, we'll start at quarterback. I think this one's pretty straightforward. This is the only place I put an or on the depth chart, and maybe you guys can fight me about whether it's deserving. I have Bo as, the, as a starter, and I think yeah. we're all in agreement there. And then I have Jay and Ty as an or, and I notably put Jay ahead of Ty. You can say it's alphabetical. For me, it's actually more of a leaning of, I think Jay's probably like a smidge ahead, but I wanted to keep the or in there in part because I was kind of thinking about it as if you look at the fastball that we watched, Ty was ahead of Jay in all but one day, all spring. But then you go watch the spring game, and Jay was the better player. So I, I want Ty and Jay there together. Do you guys have any issue with me using an or there? Would you say it's distinctly one? I, I have zero issue. Uh, my my biggest question you answered it was Butterfield first because of alphabetical order, or was it a lean? Because I would agree with you. I, I would have if I had to separate the two. Between Jay and Ty, I would go. I would go Jay first. I've got no issue. Okay, running back, and I. I think I'm going to have the, the most straightforward because a couple of these are pretty elementary. If you ask me, I've got Byron Cardwell as a starter and Sean Dollars as a second running back. I didn't include an or. You know, I think Noah had a, Noah Whittington had a nice spring, but I just don't know if I'm ready to say he's quite on the on that pecking order yet. Um, I like Byron to be the number one guy. I thought it was notable that Kenny Dillingham gave us a little stat from the second scrimmage where he said Byron ran for like 170 yards. That was new information for us and kind of confirmed what we all had expected and felt, which is that Byron had 
had really performed well this spring, even though we didn't get to see him in the spring game. So I thought that was, by the way, just like a kind of a notable nugget that Kenny gave on, on Monday. Any, any issues there? I assume no. All right. This is where this is actually the where this is the hardest one for me um, from a starter pers- perspective is the receivers. I had expected all the way through spring and probably up until even after the spring game to go with what I had pre-spring, which was Franklin and Thornton outside and Chris Hudson in the slot. And this might be me being, you know, the recency bias, but I have now put seven McGee above Chris Hudson here in the slot. Um, I thought seven was awesome in the spring game. I don't think it takes anything away from Chris Hudson, but I now really think this is a real competition there. Um, if you go back to the fastball breakdown, which again, I have on the site, and that, that's one of the things we added here this spring was just putting down where they were in the depth chart when we watched in practice. McGee was ahead of Hudson every single time, which is kind of stunning to say, but that was the reality of it. So I don't know if I feel great about it. I also say I know Hudson and McGee have both said they can play on the outside, so we might see some sort of variance there. But my start, my two deep is Franklin at the X with Crocker behind him, Thornton at the Z with Coda behind him. And by the way, that was kind of tough too because I thought Chase performed really well at the end. And then the slot, I have seven above Chris. Do you guys, I, I assume the McGee-Hudson one is the one where there might be some concerns raised or, or you guys feel, I mean, I, I thought seven was awesome in the spring game. He was, um, he was, was he the best receiver? I don't know. I think you could make a case oh, yeah. for that. Um, but I think your fastball breakdown is, is important there because McGee was ahead of Hudson every single time. Like you said, I think that matters. Um, I think they'll both play a lot. I, I honestly, kind of lean more towards maybe Coda should be ahead of Thornton. Maybe. I don't know. I Coda was real. I think Coda was the even bigger surprise than than McGee was like when McGee signed with Oregon and then last year and now going into this year, it was, wow, he's explosive. They just got to be able to figure out a way to use him correctly and, and get him out on the field. Whereas for Coda, like, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really think he would show up and would be a top two receiver on the team. He was more of like a, this is a veteran presence. He's looking for more playing time and wants to play on a winning team. He's going to maybe sacrifice a little personal success to achieve, you know, a a better year as a team. And now I'm kind of like, shoot, he might, I mean, he might be in line to compete for the best, you know, statistical year at receiver this season. I have no problem with Eric's step chart. I think seven deserves to start. I think Dante and Troy give the best potential and the best deep ball threat on the team. Um, I, I don't know if it'll only be three wide receivers for the entire year on the field. I think they'll go four for a lot of them, which you could put in Coda, you could put in Hudson, um, and you can make this a really dynamic group. Um, I think Dante adds more to the offense than Coda does. I think Coda is a very good safety net. Um, I think with Dante on the field with his size and speed, he gives you a better deep ball category. When Troy Franklin could be somebody who runs those 12 to 18 yard routes like he did for the green team with Coda. Um, yeah, I just think it's, it's notable. And Eric, I don't know if you did this, but for my, for the two deep for the defense, when I had a, a tough decision, I went by what the fastball periods were like. And although Dan Lanning and Dillingham and Lupoy all made made it clear that <clears throat> these weren't like first team or second team, third teams, it felt like it. I mean, 
the talent disparity from the first to the second to the third group was there. Um, yeah. and, and so I think it's more than reasonable to have seven as your number one slot guy um, and Chris coming back. But that and it kind of speaks to the depth of what the what Oregon's offense has. And, you know, you still have Isaiah Braybard and Josh Delgado back there, too, to add even more depth. Um, it looks a lot better than it did, you know, four or five months ago, especially after seeing it in the spring game. No doubt. And I, the one thing I will note is the only time Coda was ahead of Thornton uh, was the last fastball. And so it's possible you could say maybe at the end of camp, Chase sort of overtook Dante a little bit. I think that's probably a bit of a reach, um, but notable nonetheless. And again, I, I think I think you've got pretty clearly Troy's going to start at X, assuming these guys are stuck in these positions and yeah. they might not be. And then Z and the slot stuff could be pretty pretty interesting to follow. And then, and then there's the addition of Kyler Casper this offseason, who I'm not going to include here because I've got kind of a pretty – hard rule of I don't want to throw a true freshman up here, although I'm going to break it later. Um, but Casper is a guy who's interesting and probably would also factor into that Z position hypothetically. At least that's where I would have him um, projecting that out. All right. Tight end. This is probably going to be similar to running back where I don't know if I'm going to get much pushback. Um, I have Terrence Ferguson, head of Maliki Matavau. Those guys were, you know, and actually if you look at the fastball breakdown, yeah, Jared's giving me a thumbs up. I think you, most of yeah. you will agree. If you look at the fastball breakdown, Ferguson was with the first team twice. Madova was with it twice. And and Spencer Webb was there once, the first team. So kind of seems pretty fair. And honestly, like, if you wanted to put an or here, I probably wouldn't be too – I wouldn't have a hard time with that. I think those guys are, are both really good sophomore tight ends who I think are going to have big years potentially for Oregon. And there might be not a lot of distinction between them. I personally, maybe I just prefer Terrence to Maliki. Anything on that, Matt? I'm honestly surprised you didn't do Terrence Ferguson or Maliki and then throw in like a Spencer Webb as the backup. Like that's kind of what I was anticipating. So no, I have no issue because Ferguson and, and Maliki are the top two guys. Yeah, You're good I got no pushback. I think Terrence is the best tight end suited for this offense. I do too. And that's honestly kind of where – some of that comes from it. They're going to try to be a little bit more of a vertical threat. I mean, I think everybody's in agreement. It's Ferguson, and he showed a little bit in the spring game, can do that part. Um, now we get to the offensive line, which is the last group I'm dealing with. Um, the starters, no, I had no issue with finding the five. The positions, a little bit. And then the second unit, I'll, I'll be honest, was kind of tough. Um, all right, here's where I'm going to break my new, no true freshman rule because I have Stephen Jones as a starting left tackle, but I couldn't I, I couldn't not put Josh Connerly Jr. as the second left tackle. Um, I'll explain some of that in a moment. All right, left guard, I have TJ Bass. I have Feope Lalu as the backup. I have Alex Forsythe at center. Jackson Powers Johnson as backup. Ryan Walk at right guard. Marcus Harper as his backup. And then Big Saul at right tackle with Dawson Jaramillo as his backup. And I, before I throw it to you guys with any objections, I just want to say the Connerly thing, this was sort of my logic. Jalen Jeffers was the number two left tackle for like the first two times we watched fastball. And it kind of felt like that was his spot. And I do think there's a little bit of um, Connerly's addition felt like it might have forced Jalen Jeffers to look at the portal. And I'm just using a little bit of deductive reasoning thinking, if Jeffers felt his number two left tackle spot was being infringed upon, it's probably by Connerly, who was a, who was added to the program like three days after Jeffers entered the portal. So that was my logic there. Again, I don't love putting a true freshman here, but this is also a five-star and the number one rated offensive tackle in the country. 
So I feel decent about it. The rest of the second team is is tough. The first unit, I feel, I think that's probably about right. I think this maybe shows why adding an offensive lineman in the portal this spring might be a good idea. Um, because I, I, I look at this and think Jackson Powers Johnson has to play offense now, right? Because of some of the you know players that have left. Um, I know Connerly's coming in. I know a couple other offensive linemen are coming in as well, but I feel real good about Dawson Jaramillo as the backup at right tackle. And if you don't throw in Powers Johnson into this group, there's a bunch of unknowns for me with that second unit. Um, I know Connerly's a five star, but look, we got burned last year with Kingsley and not every offensive lineman is going to show up day one and be a dude. Uh, Connerly hasn't been in spring ball. So like, I have no issue with your first group. Um, I think that the second group is fine too. It's more so of boy, they, they could, they could use to add another guy. They could probably add another guy. They will have, you know, three guys coming in the summer with Connerly, Kawuka Rogers and Dave Ayuli, which will help in the depth, but yeah, probably getting another, just a backup guard would probably help the most is adding another body. I think the problem is like trying to find somebody like that where you could promise potential playing time next season, but this season more than likely they'll be riding pine for because the starting five probably isn't going to change. Um, and again, I don't have any, I don't have any quarrels with the first or second group here. Um, I just liked seeing TJ Bass at left guard rather than left tackle where didn't sound like he enjoyed playing that at all last year, but uh, <laughs> barring, you know, barring injuries or anything like that, that should, that should probably be the the starting five that we see in, in September. Do you feel like there's any weakness with this group? Like, I think Steven Jones is a really good player, but is, is Jones a better guard than a tackle? I kind of like Steven a tackle. I, I feel, I feel okay about that. Um, I mean, I think, You'd love to have a Penny Sewell, right? You'd love to have like just a premier blue blood. Like this guy is going to be a day two, day one draft pick at left tackle. The reality is, is Oregon doesn't have that on the roster unless it's Connerly, and that's probably a lot to expect for an eighteen-year-old. Um, it's not perfect, but I I think Jones is a better tackle than Bass, in my opinion, in, in terms of just fitting what you want there. And clearly, I think Bass is like a really really good interior guard. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where I stop. I'm like. Bass, Forsyth, and Walk are all interior guys, and I think that's by far that's clearly where they fit best. And you might argue that like Jones and Sala, like their best positions, like at, at the next level, could be interior as well as guards. But with this roster and its makeup, like kind of Jones probably has to be attack on. I, I I liked what I saw from him this spring. Um, and just to Jared's point, one last thing, I know we'll go to D Vince. Um, yeah, if they were to go portal, I think it has to be an interior guy. Um, yeah, the way they were operating this spring, Cannon Rossi, and I have this on my, my, my uh, the story here. Cannon Rossi and Charlie Pickard, two walk-ons, were with the second team as interior guys, whether it be center or right guard, uh, or sorry, left guard, all spring, like just like kind of mainstays there. And those are walk-ons. I'm not trying to be disparaging of those guys, but Oregon after Dennis transferred, um, after uh, Isaac 
not Isaac, after uh, Logan Sakapalu transferred, they're really pretty short in terms of bodies interior. I know Dave Bayuli arrives. He might stir some of that up. But, like, I have Feope as a left guard. He was playing right tackle or left tackle all spring. So even that is a bit yeah. of a reach. So that's kind of where, like, I, I could see if they go portal, it's got to be an interior guard. And, and as Jared said, it might be a hard sell, though, of, like, you're going to come here, and if you're a one- or a two-year player, like, what's the upside? Because more than likely you're – you're sitting the pine at 22, and then unless you're an awesome player, you're going to have a chance to probably not be playing a lot at 23 either. So, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, um, we'll discuss the defensive side of the depth chart. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, running through our predictions of the defensive and offensive depth charts. We just rolled through the offense. Now go over to DuckTerritory.com and read Jared's full in-depth review. But let's let's break this down defensively, Jared. Sure thing. So... Again, same idea as Eric, um, just a two deep here. Uh, I broke it down by fastball period as well. Um, I think there were a couple, and you know, I don't want to make it sound like Eric didn't have too many hard decisions, but I think there were some more hard decisions on the defensive side of the ball. Yes. Um, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of guys who you feel like could could fit the mold of what a Dan Lanning or a Tosh Lupoy defense wants. Um, so I broke mine down based on fastball periods, the spring game, um, and just, uh, again, I took health out of the equation because I'm predicting for the fall. So I'm theorizing that some, some of the bigger names that weren't active during the spring camp will be active during the fall camp. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. We're going to go also the, the defense that Oregon is running is a four, two, five. So it'd be four defensive linemen, two linebackers and five defensive backs. So that's how I put together my projections. So we'll start with the defensive line. Um, at the defensive end spot, I have DJ Johnson and Trevin Mai as one and two. For the defensive tackle positions, I have Sam Taimani and Brandon Dorless starting with Popo Amabai and Keon Ware Hudson as the, the second players. And for the outside linebacking positions, I have Braden Swinson and Mace Funa as the backup. Uh, this was difficult to say the least. There's, I mean, I just listed eight guys. There's probably four or five more that I think could really impact the season. People who I think could play like Brandon Buckner, um, like Anthony Jones, who's a true freshman. Um, 
I think there's a lot of players here who could who could make an impact for Oregon's defense in on the defensive line. Um, but you know, in the spring camp, you know, Brandon Dorless and Popo and Keanu Hudson were all injured, but just you know, by the graces of God, they'll be fine by fall camp. So I have them in there because I think those are the most talented defensive linemen they have. Um, most challenging decision though was putting Sam Taimani as a starter over Popo. Um, I just think that Taimani's physique, his like 6'4", 320 pound frame is going to help this defense more than Popo who's under two, under 300 pounds. Um, him as like a lane clogger is going to free up Brandon Dorless. It's going to free up DJ Johnson. It's going to free up Braden Swinson. So I think he's the starter with Popo coming off the bench, which is pretty good, all things considered. So let me hear it, guys. I, I would – put Popo ahead of Sam, but I don't like, I think I'm just splitting hairs. Um, and that's partly just because for me, I've seen Popo at Oregon, but you also have to understand it's a different coaching staff now, different scheme. And so, like you said, maybe Sam is better suited for that. Um, but I have no issue with DJ Brandon or Swenson um, being your, your four guys. I, I think, what this just shows is exercise and maybe Eric would disagree or I think he would agree is this group's maybe even a little bit better than anticipated. And we were already kind of high on this group already. Yeah, I know it's, and as we talked about earlier in the week, this is the hardest position on the team, I think. And I'm kind of, I'm happy I didn't have to do this because this is, <laughs> I mean, I, I was talking with Jared about like, we we're trying to figure out how like it's tough. Like, and in part because three of these key guys didn't participate in spring, and so we didn't really get a feel for where they fit. Like if if Popo had been healthy all spring and was ahead of Taki, we would have him there, but he wasn't available. And so Taki was the – Taki is Sam Taimani, for those listening who don't know the nickname. Um, we would have Taimani as the two guy, but Taimani, but Taimani was there, and he was the one. So I, I think that's the right choice. As Matt said, like there's this is a deep group, man. Like – Jared said some guys like two other names. I think Keanu Williams. I think had a decent spring from what I saw. Suavi Poti was another guy who was at least kind of well up. And- that's an interesting name you bring up because Poti was with the first team the entire fastball period. Like every single one, he was a first team guy. And I'm leaving him off the first and second team because of what I think the talent is ahead of him who were injured. So it's a really deep group. But go ahead. Oh, that that was just what I was going to say. So I thought those two guys had really nice springs and like if it wasn't for these injuries who knows how much opportunity they get i'm, I'm really high on trevin my yep. um so I'm, I'm really happy to see him placed here uh that was a player who tosh lupoy kind of like without even being asked how trevin had been said he really stood out this spring kind of like introduced that name is there a bunch of noise behind me i think someone's nope you're getting garbage okay couldn't tell um <laughs> the only one honestly like i probably feel okay about everything like the one i'd probably push back more even than the talky popo thing it's just like mace has been a starter here longer than swinson and so like I-, I could push a little on that one i think it's hard though because i think i like swinson's upside more so it's tough like i, I think mace is gonna play a lot and mm-hmm. i think swinson's gonna play a lot and they might be playing just on different downs like I could see Swinson playing on passing downs all the time. And I could see Mace being somebody who's out there more when it's a first down or a second down. So that, that one, honestly, probably me for me kind of slowed me down a little bit more than even the, 
Taki versus Popo battle, which I think will be one to follow this I, fall. I think this one's a lot like receiver where there could be like five different guys that start four or more games. This was, yeah, I mean, it, it was really hard. And for the, the Mason Braden one, um, the, the difficulty there was that Mace participated in the first uh, fastball period, and that was the only time he was with the ones. And Braden Swinson participated in the third fastball section, and he was with the ones. So when it comes down, like I, I talked to Eric earlier in this pod, where it's like, well, I don't know about you, but it came down to like where they where they were in the fastball portions of the of the scrimmages, and this one didn't help. So this was more of like what I think would be the best position because you players like Jake Shipley and Brandon Buckner were playing with the ones and the twos during those, those portions of practice where Swinson and Mace Fuda didn't operate in. And yeah, I could see Mace being a starter, but I just like Swinson's upside way more. It's, I think it's just kind of as simple as that, where if things click for him, I'd rather see that than things clicking for Mace. But anyways, we're going to move on now. We're going to go to the linebacker portion. Um, this one, again, is was, was pretty difficult because there's a lot of depth here. We've talked about the linebacking group for a while and just on who they have and who could potentially step up. For me, I have Noah Sewell and Jackson LaDuke in the MAC position, uh, and Justin Flo and Jeffrey Bossa are the one and two for the money. Um, pretty self-explanatory here. Um, Sewell and Flo, I think the combination, if they're both healthy, is one of the best linebacking cores in the conference, maybe in the country. Um, the Duke and Bossa, I think, are very, very good backups here. Um, I think Oregon fans would be pleased with either of their second-string guys starting, just like they were last year. Um, the reason I picked Sewell and the Duke in the MAC and Flo and Bossa in the money, um, in Oregon's spring game, I rewatched it a couple of times at this point, the Mac position seemed to be the ones that would be rushing the passer. So Jackson, the Duke was heavy involved in rushing the passer on delayed blitzes and Noah Sewell didn't participate that much in the spring game. You know, it is what it is type of deal, but I would rather have Noah Sewell rushing the passer than I would Justin Flo rushing the passer only because I think Justin Flo's ability to, to drop into coverage is presumably a barring injury better than Noah Sewell's. If there's a thing that Sewell has to work on, it is dropping into coverage. But when you look at the second string, the Duke is, should be better at rushing the passer than Bossa. I think Bossa is a pretty darn good guy, a linebacker in coverage. Um, but this was a tough one just because, you know, Flo only participated in the last fastball when he was with the second group. Um, Bossa and the Duke kind of split time between the runs with Sewell. Uh, Keith Brown was always a second, second teamer in the fastball. Then you have Harrison Taggart, uh, Adrian Jackson, and Devin Jackson, both working with the threes. Um, very deep group here. One that should have Oregon fans excited for the future. But let's hear it again, guys. What do you what do you disagree with? I would I would put Bossa ahead of Flow. Um, yeah, yeah. Only and 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 it's I would I would have an or um, only because I think Bossa is healthy and was really good last year. And it's, I, I think my only concern with flow is what is he like in pass coverage? And Sewell was not elite in that area. Um, and maybe, maybe they don't, they don't need both linebackers 
you know, maybe both linebackers could be run centric stoppers, but um, it's really picking splitting hairs here. I, I would just put boss ahead, but I have no, I have, that's just personal preference. I have no real issue with flow being the projected starter. I think this is where I, I think I'm with you, Jared. I think this is probably what I would go with if I was doing this exercise. Flow is the, the mystery card here. And that's mm-hmm. what's tough about kind of where you, I, 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 I would probably just based upon my expectations or hopes for him, have him as a starter. I think he's that talented. I think we also don't know what he looks like healthy because he just hasn't been healthy. And you wonder how quickly and how, how, how just kind of how he looks now after going through two serious leg injuries, like that isn't always easy. Is he going to be a step slow, right? That's the concern. Mm -hmm. If he is the player he was coming in, I think he can be awesome as a pass rusher. I think he can be really good and effective in coverage. I think he's extremely versatile. I think he's somebody who can frankly be an all-conference caliber player um, and maybe even best, best, best case. And again, I I hate to say this because he hasn't played really, but somebody who could be legitimately like he plays one year and is then an early draft pick in the spring of 23. Like I think that's the kind of guy – Justin Flo can be. But again, as Matt said, and I understand his hesitancy, we haven't seen it yet. He's been hurt, and you don't know what it looks like when he's back. So um, I understand the hesitancy there, but I would go with what Jared wrote. And I would, this is was, this was probably exactly how I would project it, not knowing maybe the, the difference between the two positions quite as well as Jared. So I wouldn't necessarily know if I would put Jackson or Jeffrey where kind of they're, where they work together. But I, I think this is the right hierarchy. Yeah, I think putting flow for me also was just the potential factor. If he's healthy and he's playing 100% and he looks like he did against Fresno State, you have he's he's a bona fide starter. I don't think anybody comes close except for Noah Sewell, and he's going to be out there with them. So that's pretty exciting. On the cornerback, I think this one is pretty, pretty simple. Um, at boundary, I have Dante Manning. With Darren Barkins as the backup at field cornerback, I have Christian Gonzalez and Avante Dickerson as the backup. Uh, again, this is another one, you know, barring injury because Christian Gonzalez was a little banged up at the end of camp and, and, uh, Dante Manning was out, was absence the final two fastballs in the spring game with some sort of left leg injury that doesn't appear to be serious. Um, I think the cornerback room is, is really thin. That's what I've kind of come away with this. Um, I think Barkin's really improved. He's still quite lean. Um, Dickerson also didn't participate in too many of the fastballs. He just participated in the last two where he was second string for one of them, first string for the final one. Um, so this could be, this is just going to be a room that we're not hundred percent sure on. Uh, obviously they have Jaleel Tucker and, uh, Kamari Terrell coming into the summer. Jaleel Florence is here. He was with the second, second unit all spring long, which is a good sign, but I'll still take Barkins and Dickerson over him so far. There's certainly a chance that he or Tucker Terrell can improve, um, but this would probably be the biggest need if Oregon decides to go into the portal. I think bringing in another cornerback with some experience would be really, really beneficial. So, I, I was just going to say, I think this is one where I don't have a lot of confidence. Um, not that none of these guys individually are 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 bad, but. Manning has struggled to be on the field. Christian Gonzalez is new. Dickerson hardly played last year, you know, meaningful snaps. Barkins redshirted. 
Um, yeah. Th- this, you know, besides Gonzalez, I almost argue like everybody else could maybe be up for grabs. Like this is one where fall camp, this could look totally different. Right now, I don't really have any issues other than maybe I would put Florence ahead of Barkins, but I again, that doesn't feel like a massive issue for me. Um, Barkins is the more, I guess, air quotes, experienced player, but um, this could have a lot of movement in the next couple months. Certainly. Yeah, I think Manning and Gonzalez really, if, if everything is good from a health perspective, I, I felt those two separated as the starting corners. Um, midway through camp, at least. And again, I would love to have seen Don. I mean, I, it's it's tough on Dante just because his health has been so up and down during his time here that he didn't get to finish spring and that he didn't get to go out and show some of that progress in the spring game because I think we'd be having a little different conversation about that if he did. We'd probably be saying, man, Oregon has two really high-end corners. The rest of it's kind of uncertain. The other name I would just throw out here, is, and it might have been because of depth at corner, but Triquez was playing quite a bit in the spring game at corner, it looked like. Um, I think he was moving around. He was also playing deep safety, um, and we'll get to him in a second. But in a pinch, if things – you know, it, it, and I think you brought this up when I brought up the transfer portal thing a couple weeks ago. But, like, if if there is concern at corner depth-wise, I wouldn't be surprised to see Triquez come back because he's versatile enough to do that, and he can play a little bit here. How close were you to going Florence over Dickerson? Not at all. Okay. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. I, I just I – I just think you know Florence has a lot of a lot of talent, and he'll he'll get his time eventually. But I'm just going to take Barkins and Dickerson over him. I really like Avante Dickerson. I think he could be really good. He just didn't participate in the first two fastballs, and for whatever reason. But uh, I still feel like he's the best second, uh, like second cornerback you can have behind either a, a Gonzalez or a Manning. Yeah, I don't have much else to add on corner. I I do think. This may look somewhat different once these freshmen have more time in camp, and just the, just these guys in general, like when they gel. I think Manning and Gonzalez are really strong bets to start, assuming Manning's healthy, though. I uh, yeah, so we'll we'll bump it over to safety real quick. I have for boundary safety, I have Triquist Bridges with Steve Stevens behind him. Brian Addison and JJ Greenfield are in the free safety and at nickel, which was one of the harder choices I had, which I've been getting some flack for on the duck territory message board. I have Jamal Hill starting and Bennett Williams as the backup. Um, Brian Addison and Triquist Bridges have been the deep safeties. Every single scrimmage or every single fastball period, except for one where Addison was feeling under the weather. It is notable in that one period where Brian Addison missed Bennett Williams took over as a deep safety. So that could be a way to get him on the field as well. But other than that, at nickel, um, Jamal Hill was the first string nickel safety, star safety, whatever you want to call it, uh, every single time. And so ultimately that was a difference maker for me in, in projecting that Jamal Hill was going to be the starting at nickel. Um, but I, I certainly agree with, with some of the message board comments about how Bennett Williams is really good and needs to be, be on the field as much as possible. Um, I just think Jamal Hill is also really good, and clearly he's improved, and clearly he and Bennett are in this deadlock race between who's going to be the star safety and who's going to start. But I got Jamal Hill. So let me hear it. I I don't have any issues with this. Um, 
I think Bridges moving over to safety was interesting, but then as we saw practice play out in the spring game kind of justified. Um, Steve, we, we said last year, like we love Steve, but he was the one, like there was, a, there was a drop off between the other starters in the secondary last season to Steve. And then there was a really deep drop off from Steve to the next guy. Um, so I'm not really surprised that, Jared put someone ahead of Steve, even though he was a starter last year. Um, Greenfield, I think I'm happy to see him on this list. Um, he was all over the place in the spring game. Um, I think from a human element, it's a pretty cool story. I mean, we don't know why he left Oregon uh, last season under Mario Cristobal, but he was at a junior college and then came back on his own as a walk-on this year to get his spot back. And I mean, you don't typically see that. Like, we don't know the, the circumstances, but pretty cool. And so, I'll, now just from a human element, you're kind of rooting for Greenfield there. Um, Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams, like, I'm good with it. Like, maybe to me, like, do you maybe go best case, you know, best three guys and put Bennett in there ahead of Addison? Because, I mean, Jerry, like, when you were making this list, or maybe Eric can go first and then Jared can address. But like, I, I feel like Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams, and TriQuest Bridges are your three best guys back there. And mm -hmm. so maybe you have to figure out, does that work or not? I think it could work. It just it just never happened during one of the fastball portions right. and other than the final one. Um, but I do think that if Oregon really wants to get all three of those guys in the field, I think Bennett Williams playing like a free safety spot or a boundary safety. I think that's the best way to get him in there. Um, it just, I feel like you're kind of wasting his impact if you're putting him all the way back there, because he's one of the best open field tacklers this team has and him playing nickel or him playing star, like he did last year, put him in those situations to make open field tackles to, uh, you know, be a run stopper from the perimeter and, so I, I think that's kind of how they look at it now. But, you know, barring injury or anything like that, um, they could put him back there. But for me, I liked him more as, I guess, a backup nickel. Yeah, I'd put Bennett. I, it's, and I understand why because of the fastball part. Bennett was cross-training between a couple spots. I think Jamal is your starting nickel. So if you're going to – Bennett has to be behind him. Um, I, I like Bennett over Brian Addison at one of the safety spots, probably. And maybe that's just based upon what I've seen on the field previously with Brian, where I've just been kind of underwhelmed. I thought Brian had a really strong spring. I think Bennett's the better player. So I would look at it that way. Another name I'm just going to throw out that's not on here Do is Damon, yeah. Damon David. Is a guy I would heavily consider. And again, I don't know where he fits in terms of if he's a better boundary or, or, or a field safety guy. Um, but I, I think he's going to push his way into this conversation, whether it be at one of those spots and maybe it's he and JJ are pushing for that backup or I guess the way I'm constructing it, the third string spot, if I have Bennett over Brian, but I have no issue with Steve Stevens taking a step back on this. Um, I really like Steve as a player. He's a really nice young man. Uh, I, I just don't know if he is quite the same athlete as some of these guys. And yeah. I think this defense, what, with how aggressive they are in the front seven, you really want guys who can cover a lot of space in the back end, which is why the argument for Brian Addison holds water yeah. because he's six five. He covers a lot of space. He's really athletic. He's rangy. He's got a great catch radius. Like he would, he and Triquist back there, frankly, seem kind of optimal from a size perspective. 
But I also just think then it's somebody who's so aggressive and so skilled in terms of making plays <laughs> that it's it's hard for me not to have him in a starting eleven. Um, even though I know in the spring he really wasn't there. So it's a t this is another tough group again. I had much easier groups on offense. They were like, I was like a seven McGee the better slot, and you've got like you've got some you've got some tough ones here. I I probably if I was slotting, I'd probably bend it over Brian though, and, and maybe Damon in over JJ Greenfield at some capacity. The question I would also have though, and this is probably why there's more validity to Bennett staying there, is like who's your backup nickel if Bennett's playing free safety? Yeah. It's a good question. We don't we don't really know, right? Nope. It, no. I, we, we saw Greenfield play nickel one time during the fastball period. So that could be your answer. I just, for me personally, I just love the Brian Addison, Triquist Bridges deep safety combo. I think those guys are both so tall, so lanky, so athletic that they're like this like perfect mold of what you want in a free safety, especially Addison. And Addison was very underwhelming last year. Um, you know, he really struggled against Colorado. I remember very specifically the, the, the buffs just seemed to pick on him, frankly. Um, but he looks much more improved. Um, I, you know, we got to see it to believe it, but I really like his, his height, his, his skill, his, you know, his range that he has deep in the deep safety position and kind of look at his bridges as like your third cornerback on the field more to me just because of his experience playing corner. He has that man-to-man -man capabilities. Um, he just kind of let Addison be a center fielder and just, you know, say, hey, go up and get it if you can. I like that idea more than I like, you know, Bennett Williams in there. Because, again, I just feel like you're kind of wasting what Bennett Williams can be when he's lower in the box if you have him playing deep. Um, you know, if there's a run that breaks to the second level, he'll be there. But – He's somebody who who doesn't allow that run to break to the next level. So I like him more at a nickel. And maybe eventually they move um, Bridges to free safety and and Bennett Williams to boundary safety and have him cover people and have them a little closer to the line and keep Jamal. I, I don't know. It's a it's a tough one. Jared, Jared what about Dime? <sighs> what about Dime? Go, go all James Creppy on you. What about the Dime? <laughs> you want me to be James for a minute? That that might, but I think that actually might be when they go to dime. That might be a really effective unit because you would, in theory, be able to put Bennett out there in a yeah. different capacity. Is what I'm getting at. Um, I'm happy Jared touched on it for a moment there, but pretty cool to see Addison in our list as like a starter because I, I almost thought he wasn't. It wasn't even like playable. He wasn't almost playable at the end of the year last season. And maybe it's scheme change. Maybe it's development. Maybe it's probably a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how you advocate for Addison um, moving over to offense. Like I was saying at the beginning of spring football, yeah. Yeah. like, hey, there's depth issues at receiver. Addison's played it and played it well. You and you may need to move him over to the offensive side of the ball. Now he's in clear cut contention to be a starter. Um, I think I just think that's pretty cool. Um, and Jared's right, like the back end of that safety group, you've got six foot five and six foot three. Um, I never really understood why Oregon automatically under Mario Cristobal moved Bridges from safety to corner when he showed up, um, because he was a safety in high school. Um, and so I like the size, like Jared mentioned. Like that's gonna be really hard to go over the top. That gives you two really tall, rangy dudes 
to kind of go and, and get those 50-50 balls. I mean, that that was Brian Addison's specialty coming out of high school, too. He had 34 interceptions in his high school career in Alabama, which I think is like a state record. I'm looking at it right now. Um, that's That's pretty good. And you put him at safety and you give him opportunities to go make interceptions and you see what he did last week at the spring game. So I'd like to keep him there and, and not at corner anymore. But, um, you know, that'll be the kind of how, how the coaching staff sees it. I do think that uh, safety's coach, Matt Pallage, has had a really big impact on this group already. Yeah. And it's pretty easy to tell. Yep. All right. It's going to do it for us here. Um, all right, real quick. Let, is there anybody that, like, let me th- – Throw a curveball for you guys. Um, when we look at this overall group, is there one position group where you're like, hey, this could change drastically during fall camp? And by drastically, meaning like two or three guys who aren't on this list could get added or one or two starters could get pulled in second team. Like I, I think corner. For me, it's cornerback. Like Jalil Tucker's showing up development of Jalil Florence. Um, I, I just think that that position group could look entirely different in the order. It could be the same names, but it could be just a completely different order of guys too. I just think corner could see a, a big overhaul change. I don't think there's anything on offense that really fits that bill. Um, maybe receiver being something where it rotates a little bit just because I had Hudson the second team. I would be I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's like clear cut first team by the time we get to fall just because of his what he did a year ago and, and how dynamic he is. Tight end, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, offensive line. Like I don't I think a lot of those guys are pretty much set. I, I would be honestly like quarterback, running back, tight end, offensive line. The number the names I have there, the first team, I'd be pretty stunned if there's much difference there. Like offensive line, I could see guys moving from guard and tackle and stuff, but the rest of it, I feel really confident. Those are the names. Um, receiver is the only one. And, and I don't think it fits what Matt's talking about where we see some, like maybe Kyler Casper arrives and is just awesome. And he has to be put in there, but I'm pretty skeptical of that development considering he's a year ahead of development. I think defense is probably where there's more candidates for this. It's gotta be defense. I mean, I thought about wide receiver, on offense just for a second, like with Coda, maybe like Matt was saying, takes over for Thornton, Hudson comes along. I don't know, maybe Isaiah Bravard adds 15 pounds of muscle in the next four months and it's just a king out there. But it's got to be on defense. Um, If I were to point to a specific group, I guess I could say defensive line because there's a lot of options there. And maybe, I, I, I don't know, it's... There's, there's a lot of options there, and I think that's one of the main cases. Um, secondary, I mean, we just went over all the options that, that could happen at safety. Um, it's got to be on defense. I don't know if I could specifically pick to one that will have the most disruption. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back on Friday with another podcast um, breaking down something – Oregon related. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Little tease. Uh, yeah, my head's all over the place. It, while we were recording, I got a message that uh, Oregon basketball was um, losing an assistant coach to Louisville. Uh, and it was a different assistant coach, but nonetheless, they have lost somebody to Louisville. Josh Jamison, um, director of ops. 
uh, is going to work at Louisville. So my head's a little scattered right now, but we'll, we'll discuss that and more um, on the podcast on Friday. Until then, you've been listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.